Hi, hello, and welcome to Oh Boy, the podcast presented by Man Repeller. I'm your host, Jay Bume. I found out today that we have reached 50,000 downloads, so I just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast so far. I really love doing these interviews, and it's nice to know that people are listening. Today's guest is Jordana Keir, who got her start working in the classical music industry and recently co-founded the company Lola, which describes itself as a modern approach to feminine care. I really enjoy my conversation with Jordana that we had in my kitchen, so let's get into it. You know, the worst time I ever got a nosebleed, I was at a funeral. And I oh, was like, no. I, was in the, I was in the center of the row. And I'm just, I'm like, I look down, I'm just like, I'm bleeding all over my pants. And I'm like trying to, you know, I'm trying to get out of the tight aisle. And everybody's like, and I'm just like holding my nose. And everybody's like, oh, oh my God, Jay, are you okay? Like, oh, don't get upset. Like, it's not that bad. And like, you know, that, you know, it's like that awkward thing when you're at like the movie theater or whatever you have to, you know. And it was at like a particularly somber moment. I mean, yeah, it was what? like the most somber moment of the funeral. It was the That's worst That's pretty time. bad. Yeah. If you had had a Lola tampon. Yeah. Handy. Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in New York City. Right in New York City. Right in smack in the middle. Just right in the middle in Central Park? Yeah, <laughs> yeah right in the middle, mm-hmm. yeah. I grew up with some, some uh, stray dogs, and uh-huh. it was, I, I learned fast. I had to grow up. They raised um, you as one of their own? They did. Uh, what neighborhood did you grow up in? <laughs> uh, the Upper West Side. Okay. And how was that? What was that experience like? It was great. I mean, I, I really can't complain. I, I think a lot of people, when they when they meet a, a real life born and bred New Yorker, yes. some people are surprised that I look so normal. Um, <laughs> what do you mean? What are you, th- what are, what are they, what are you supposed to look like? You know, I didn't grow up with a backyard. I didn't grow up mm-hmm. kind of riding my bike in a neighborhood. And I think a lot of people attribute a lot of childhood memories to doing those types of things. And right. I mean, I also, my mom always said I never had to worry about drunk driving, which is kind of awesome. You know, I never. That is one positive. One that- positive. <laughs> Um, there are more. I'll let, I'll tell you when I remember them. <laughs> For you personally, would you consider growing up in New York an ideal place? I mean, I loved it. You know, I think growing up in, in New York gave me a an appreciation for the arts at a very young age. You're, and your folks would always just take you out to things where you go into museums. Yeah, museums. My mom's an artist. Oh wow! Um, what kind of what, what kind of work does she do? She um, she's a trained graphic designer. Oh cool. Um, worked at the New York Times many many years ago. Really? Yeah. So like when graphic design was more you know it was more of a it's physicality like to it. Yeah. Yes. So that's amazing. Yeah. So actually, when we were designing the packaging for Lola, she had a heavy hand in. Um, you know, we just printed out like I mean she's just not good on the computer right um as i think a lot of that um you know like our moms we can just go on and on about you know like how do i send an email (laughs) um but she you know so so we were getting kind of very hands-on with the design of the um of the box which was really cool to have that experience with my mom it seems like those skills are things that i think will be very sad when they're completely gone in terms of the way to approach how to design things. And uh, what was your dad's background? What did your dad do? So my dad... Or what um, does he do? My dad ran a textile company okay. for many years. He was... Uh, WWD called him the king of Lycra. The king of Lycra? <laughs> yes. Oh my God. So please, so. my first question here is... Because <laughs> I have many. I have a few. Whatever Lycra desire you had, it was fulfilled. Well, the funny thing is, is that now as the queen of cotton... Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> is that you that you've branded yourself as that i have yeah okay tampon queen is tampon actually queen. my, God. my okay. official name all right but it's it's fun sharing that with him too so the let's maybe even rewind a little bit more sure, so sure. my my grandfather and grandmother um grew up in cuba oh wow and so my grandfather ran a textile company there um they had four kids they were settled and then you know castro came and, and they got out. totally just expropriated the company nothing was theirs anymore and so they left and my dad was eight moved to the to the states settled in charlotte north carolina of all places how, how did they end up there um i think they had like a you know some some friends and they just know a guy we know somebody here they this is where we're gonna go exactly that's great um and so they settled there and my grandfather started over again and and built a, his own textile company yet again um my dad when he was you know 27 28 went to go work for him mm-hmm. um ended up growing the company and um they had a few factories in the south and um and then everything kind of started to go overseas but what i like to think is that you know i come from a family of entrepreneurs yeah no it's amazing it's nice to know that i can go to my dad or even my grandfather with questions around manufacturing i mean yeah. even that is cool right you know they they obviously don't use tampons but right. um they're still dealing with textiles in the <laughs> yeah, way, you there's know textiles Co- there's in cotton and textiles <laughs> Were your parents supportive of you growing up or did, did they have a plan of what they wanted you to do? They were really supportive of me. I, when I went to college and said I wanted to study music, um, you know, there wasn't any sort of backlash of, well, what about, you know, economics or political science? It was very much like, hey, you, you know, explore, learn, grow. Right. Um, so I was very fortunate to have um, a supportive network. But I think overall, the, the main thing was just work hard, you know, work hard at whatever you do. So whether it was music or economics, I just needed to show that I was getting the most out of my education. You're very lucky, you know. I am. Um, I know. Thank you. <laughs> no, I mean, because I also, I know I had the same thing too. My folks were, you know, the same way. Like, I, I feel very lucky to have, like, had that. You yeah, know? I mean, look, is my dad happy that I went to business school? Yeah. <laughs> But 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 they let you they let you find your way there. Totally. You know, I think that's really important. Yeah. Because then you don't spend, you know, the rest of your life wondering like what if. Right. You know, or or there's always some tinge of of regret somehow. I think. Well, and also you look at you look at the sort of environment now of of the jobs and the companies that that are being created, and um, you know, creativity is a huge driver Mm -hmm. of all of it. Um, and so I think when you allow your kids and not that I have any yet, but when you allow kids to kind of explore their passions, I think that's when they grow and develop the most. Yeah. Also, I'm 29. I literally have no idea what I'm talking about. So (laughs) what were the things that you were into growing up? How are you spending your time? I, so I, I played piano. Mm -hmm. Um, I was in the orchestra and then I actually was a big athlete. So I played soccer and basketball. Oh, wow. My parents are actually very good athletes. So I think that's where I get it from. They actually met because my dad saw the back of my mom playing tennis. (laughs) (laughs) I I love this story. This is very romantic. Super romantic. And he, um, and he, got her number from the receptionist and called her up because there was a mixed doubles tournament and so that's how they met so he just called her up and he's like hey so you're back yeah he's like so Great. you have nice legs nice legs 
Um, yeah. So let's then they... see what the fronts. What's going on with the front? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then they 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 He's... played. I think they won the tournament. I might have. I might just be saying that for this for story's sake. That's what we want to all hear. Yeah, yeah. They they won. <laughs> yeah. They fell in love. How else were you spending your time besides playing sports and you know doing music stuff? Were you getting into trouble in New York? No, I'm kind of a like a goody goody. I know I'm really bored. I'm boring in that respect, actually. I just I'm just dying. I just like I love hearing stories of children running amok through New York City. I mean, I got my first fake ID when I was a junior in high school. I think that's kind of lame. Yeah, that's yeah. You should have <laughs> had one like in eighth grade. Yeah, cut this from the podcast. I'm, I'm so I'm, lame. I know. I know. Like sometimes I would like. I mean, my my mom's gonna kill me. But, yeah. Like you know, I would sneak it outside like out the back door and like go up to the roof and have a cigarette oh boy yeah badass uh-huh. right badass. <laughs> i was just like kind of just like getting high at my friend's apartments we'll see cool. like led zeppelin yeah you know that's pretty that's i mean same thing happened in the suburbs you know not too different yeah we're yeah. the same we are the same and i need to accept that <laughs> did you uh speaking of that um did you have an awkward time growing up so i had a unibrow you had a unibrow i mean i still do like still there i don't take care of it um yeah and i but you I had actively it. had one. Oh, it was intense yeah and then for my bat mitzvah uh-huh. <laughs> yeah um like i finally it was like the separation whose whose decision was it i i mean i think i was just like mom come on I'm she like wouldn't let 12 you. 12 or 13. Like She wouldn't let you. She was like, you look like Frida Kahlo. You look so beautiful. I'm you like, know what? This is bad. Your mom's got like the best point of view on it. <laughs> you know, because Frida Kahlo, that's a strong look. It's Super a really strong, strong look. I, I feel like now, I, maybe I could bring the unibrow back. I don't think that would be an unwise <laughs> idea. Seriously. Okay. You know, like. The if next you get, time I, I come by. Uh-huh. If you got it, flaunt it. Totally. You know? That's so, okay. <laughs> so, so you had a unibrow, and that was your yes. awkward time. And then once the unibrow was gone, everything was normal. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, it's, do you ever think about, like, your childhood, and you, you remember small little vignettes, but you, you don't really, you can't really piece together, like, tons and tons of, of stories? Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I, was, I was a happy kid, I think. I... I think after after the separation, it was mm-hmm. um, the separation of the eyebrows. Of the eyebrows, okay. um, yeah. you know, everything was everything was coming up, Jordana. That's great. Who were you know who were the who were the folks that you looked up to growing up besides your folks? Oh. If you're gonna say that, yeah, I mean, I that's a really good question. I mean, when I was little, I wanted to be, I wanted my dream job was to run. Carnegie Hall or Lincoln Center and so I looked up to either the artists who were playing there mm-hmm. or the people who were running the show there That's cool. um, when I graduated from college and I'm sure we'll get there we'll get there um, my first boss was this amazing woman who runs all of music programming for Lincoln Center oh, wow. um, and she's just like this badass and I had this, I, it was only a summer internship and I sat in her office with her and just the way that she conducted business and, and had these amazing insights and vision into which artists to bring on. And, Mm. um, even just, you know, walking into her office and listening, having her listen to maybe just like Beethoven because she hadn't listened to him in a, in a few weeks. I don't know, this idea of kind of rediscovering old loves and, 
figuring out a way to weave that into making it contemporary again. I don't know. She was just a, an amazing lady to be around. That's that's great. Do you still do you still talk to her at all? Yeah, or? you do. Oh wow, yeah, that's really cool. I found that the music industry, um, or the classical music music industry, um, at least, is very much. It it feels kind of like a bubble, and then and it's hard to, to kind of penetrate. Mm-hmm. And then once you get in there, it's like everybody knows everyone, and it's a very small network. It seems so, small, tight knit, probably. Yeah, and a lot of people have been in the industry for many many years. So I was very fortunate that you know, the network kind of led me to my first full-time job. Up, yeah. And then, so what, how long were you there? So I was there for a year and actually met my next boss at a dinner. Mm-hmm. He had just become the new general manager of New York City Opera, George mm-hmm. Steele, uh-huh. great guy. Um, and he was sitting next to me and he was like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I want to run Lincoln Center. I'm like, it's an asshole. He just said it. Kid. Like, <laughs> You know, who the hell am I? That's um, amazing, though. You know, that's amazing to say that. A, to like to, to be like, well, that's what I want to do. And then to, to know and to say it to the person. But I mean, also, I mean, he's probably surrounded by people all day that just want to just, you know, play the game to just try and, you know, you totally. need that boldness. Totally. It's, um, it helps. So we clicked. What were you doing while you were there? So I joined first as his assistant. Mm-hmm. The reason really why I took the job was because New York City Opera was at this kind of pivotal moment where it had just come off of a dark season. Um, There wasn't a ton of revenue coming in. It was just after the financial crisis. So the donations were low. Um, They had just done this huge renovation at the theater where they shared with, um, they shared the theater with the ballet. Um, And just off the bat, you know, basically you have one theater and you have two different sets of priorities. You know, off the bat, you kind of have these kind of, um, there's a tension there. A lot of tension. You know, there was this amazing opportunity to kind of reinvent the company. Um, New York City Opera is always kind of seen as this feisty younger sister. And so that excited me. And I thought that it would be an amazing place to learn and grow. Um, cool. And I was there for three years. You spent a long time, like, kind of on this, like, path, on this trajectory. And you finally get to work in the world that you wanted to work in. Was that, was it everything that you wanted it to be? Did you find that there were things that you discovered about it that took away a little bit of your love for me? Regardless of what you do every day, yes, at some point it can be it becomes work. And I think there is definitely a way to mix work and passion and I I I never stopped loving um, you know the arts and opera and but yeah, it's t- it it was tough and especially at the end when you know when I was sort of ready to move on and I always loved working there. At a re- in the third year where I, when I was there, we started to do a ton of, um, the, the union contracts were up. Mm. And so we were at the table negotiating with the unions. We were... You were at the negotiation? I was there, actually. It really? Was, it was, a, a, you know, bittersweet, um, very educational experience for me. As I was 25 at the time. And... Um, you know, running different models in terms of how could we pay the artists and, you know, we needed to reduce our budget to a third of what it was and, you know, just kind of dealing with the realities of, like, the macro economy. Was the opera in danger of closing at one point? They, so we, they ended up closing. Right. Um, They closed in the fall of 2013. Okay. Which is really sad. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's super sad to me that in... A city like New York, you know, you can't sustain two opera companies. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, opera is a really expensive uh, form of art to 
of course produce 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 <laughs> i mean it's it's an expensive form of art it's and it's it's not necessarily it hasn't necessarily translated into something that feels relevant to younger and younger audiences you know i think i think on the one hand we wanted to be able to support the artists and what they were doing and you know these are incredibly skilled people and yeah, spent artists their entire lives spent their training. entire lives yeah. training and you know they deserve to be compensated and treated in 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 the right way um the realities of the situation were just completely different after that was that when you kind of wanted to to leave and to do something different so it was sort of in the in the middle of it um i was you know running all these models and building out and 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 in these meetings where we were talking about the strategy of what we were going to do and you know how we how we could move forward and um and that that kind of like flicked on a a light bulb in my head where I was like, this is really, I mean, this is a, an intense moment for the company that I'm at, but it's a, these are interesting and intriguing questions that I want to be able to learn and explore more around, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just business strategy in general and how you grow companies. And, you know, I, I had always been a pretty good math student, but there were, you know, financial modeling was something that I didn't really know anything about. And, um, and I wanted to go, to business school and really kind of that's when I that's when I realized I wanted to to go and develop those skills Mm. so so you're like did you have a plan of what you wanted to do I was very open with George my boss Mm -hmm. um and I said you know I'm gonna I'm taking I'm gonna take the GMAT which is the um the test that you have to take oh I know all about um it's like this dynamic like asshole test where it's like you know every question you answer and I'm sure you know all about this it's like you answer the question if you get it right the next question's harder then it's like you can't answer that one (laughs) so because then the question gets easier and you know you end up being like well you know and then and then you get to the end and they say do you want to cancel or see your score and you're like well fuck like (laughs) Was it hard for you to leave the music industry that you'd spent so much time in to go do this? Yes, at first, but I think I was just ready. I was ready for a new adventure. So was it, did you leave school having an idea of what you wanted to do? So when I got to school, I, um, my, my goal was to develop my financial skills. Um, I found myself recruiting for the for my internship between my first and second year business school's two years Mm -hmm. for some sort of role in uh, some sort of finance position at a large company i i had never worked at a big company um so this is where you're interning or this is what you wanted to do this is what i was what i was going to do for my internship if i liked it great um while i was on break i was talking to my then boyfriend, now husband, um, you know, talking to him about all these, you know, big companies that I was recruiting for and I didn't know if I was going to like it and did I want to work for something smaller and he at the time had just started his own company and he was like, start your own company. It's easy. I did it. <laughs> I like, you can do it okay, too. Okay, thanks. Yeah. Uh, genius. And he was like, no, like what makes you frustrated what makes you you know as a consumer even and I like immediately thought about tampons really yeah mostly from a like why do I not have these every single month in my house why am I always running to the store like 
bleeding out of my pants. Right. You know, not having tampons. And so that sort of led me first down this path of of just even exploring the market, um, understanding, you know, who were the big players, which I had familiarity with, but from a business perspective, had never really thought of it before. Mm-hmm. And so I did a ton of research into the market, into, you know, what could I do? Could I, could I create a delivery subscription? Um, you know, it, it is, is this the main issue? And I, and I started to do a ton of research into what actually was made out of what, what, what were tampons actually made of? I love when people say like, I did research, but yeah. what do you, what do you mean by that? What do you, yeah. do you what, what is that research? Like, what does that actually entail? So being in business school, you have access to a lot of reports that these strateg- big strategy companies come out with. And they're, they're thousands of pages and they are thousands of dollars. Yeah. Um, but as, as an academic institution, you can get access to a lot of these for free. Oh, wow. So I just spent, I remember actually I finished my internship at a company called Quidzy which does diapers.com and wag.com and soap.com and then had a bunch of weeks off but found myself in the library just reading all of these reports um around the feminine care industry thinking you know reading about annual sales what were some of the trends that were going on and a lot of what i was reading was women are interested more and more into green alternatives so whether it's cotton whether it's um the menstrual cup um, whether it's non-applicator tampons, um, just there was a, a large trend towards that, and there was a large trend towards women expecting more from the brands that they were using. It's mind-blowing to me that the FDA doesn't like have a say in what goes into tampons. So they just don't. They don't regulate, regulate it. So, but, or they basically it's it's a essentially a self-regulated industry. You know, these companies and that works say, out so well. right? I mean, these companies basically say, "Oh, we're, we've tested it; it's fine." To me, the the crazy thing is that the FDA doesn't require these companies to put the, all the ingredients on yeah. the label. Every other product that we use, you know, from the soap to lotion to the food that you eat, you know what's in that. Yeah, um, this is something that's going into your body for you know, upwards of four to eight hours. Mm-hmm. It's, it was kind of that, that was the moment when I was doing the research around ingredients, not getting that far because I couldn't get that far. Right. And, um, and then also reading that the FDA kind of didn't have my back as a consumer. That's when, you know, it, it, it transformed from just a delivery idea to, I could actually create a product that is transparent and, you know, open to women with women around right. exactly what's in it. You come from a long line of entrepreneurs. Like, was it something you naturally just felt really comfortable doing, entering that world? I think that you have to be a little naive to dive headfirst into a new, a new industry, a new business model. And that, you know, not only that, but then going out and trying to raise money against an idea, too. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you have to be a little nuts. (laughs) (laughs) What was this your first crack at starting a business? Was it the first thing? First thing. So you're doing this research. And what was that moment where you're like, I've got it. This is what I want to do. Do you remember how that came about? Looking back, I think the thing that 
was probably the real indicator was that I was sitting in a library when I didn't have to be there and I was reading in you know these boring reports and finding them really fascinating mm-hmm. um, I think that when when you can find a topic that just you can't stop reading about that's I think when hopefully you've come to something exciting and intriguing yeah, of course but I actually I, I didn't say then and there oh I'm gonna do this I I I continued to read it, read about it. I continued to build different kinds of models to see how the finance, the finances could work. Um, I took a models for what, in terms of what, like how many subscribers would I need to have and what would be the price point? So I think always, always with the idea of having it be simple ingredients, um, super flexible subscription. So canceling, skipping, you can get two boxes or one box every one or two months making sure that it was built for it was built for me like Mm -hmm. i wanted it to be something that i would use easy transparent easy transparent um relatable what was the kind of learning curve that you guys had like what were some obstacles that presented themselves to you guys early on oh my god what weren't some (laughs) obstacles i think it was like you know if i if i thought about it all at once it was way too overwhelming. I think you just, we had to take it one day at a time. First and foremost was, where were we going to make this product? And we went all over the world, um, you know, to find a product that we wanted to use, that, you know, we understood and respected the manufacturing process and and environment. And How many people do you have employed now? So we're a team of six now. Team of six, wow. Yeah, it's been really fun. What, what, what makes it worth it to you? When we get emails from customers that say, thank you so much for this amazing product. Um, I love it. I, I used to have issues with, you know, other products in the market. And, and I, I really never really liked to use tampons before, but I really love your product. That's That makes it worth it. So the connection the to connection. the people that are on the other side. Yeah, and I don't think... I think that's where we have this amazing opportunity to engage with customers and to provide this um, this place where women can ask questions and you know tell us what they think about the product or what what else they would they would want to have delivered. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's been unbelievable how open women have gotten with us. Um, well, I mean, it's, I guess it's like that thing, right, where it's like if you if they if they feel like it's a safe if anybody feels like it's a safe space, they're just going to they're you know, the, the floodgates are just going to open. open. You know what I mean? Right. Because so, they spend all the time just having to just like keep it in. So when you right. find even like a little crack, you're like, this, I got to tell you everything. Right. Yeah. And so two things. One, I think it's because we're a female founded company. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of women love this idea that when they reach out to us, they're talking to two women who are in the same exact position they are. Mm-hmm. Pre-launch, we actually did a ton of focus groups and went all around the world, uh, world went all around the country talking to tons of women, you, you know, our friends and then our friends' friends. We were like, hey, let's just like do a period party. Yeah. but oh, So not like focus groups, like you didn't get to stand on the other side of like a double mirror, No, did we you? were just, we were leading them. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, the first five minutes are always really awkward because everybody's like, why am I talking about my period? 
And what was the thing that you took away? Like, what is the thing that sticks out to you the most that you took away from all those kinds of meetings? A few things. One, um, women have rarely been given an opportunity to think or talk openly and objectively about their period and their experience and what's missing from the market. Mm -hmm. And I think also more importantly, or not more importantly, but just as important, is that women have never thought about what's in these products. Yeah. And it's kind of shocking. It's a it's look, I mean, you're given your you're you get your period, mm-hmm. you're given a box of tampons by your mom or by your friend, and then you kind of just like shove it under the sink and you don't want to think about it anymore. Yep. Um, you Until know, I think you... a lot of women are kind of awakened to this idea where they don't have to accept something that doesn't tell them all the ingredients. Right. You know, one thing that I, I think about um, with a lot of like kind of, um, you know, kind of like a homegrown company, right? Where it's like, how do you, um, you know, as things expand, how do you still, you know, stay true to your initial goals? Mm-hmm. You know, because I think it's a thing. There's it's just the nature of like getting bigger and growing where sometimes it's harder to, you know, be on top of those things. Have you thought about that at all? Totally. I still think we're probably in a position and in, in a in a stage where we're really small and we can control a lot of that output. Of course. Um, talk to me in a year. <laughs> how do you see that things are changing, like you know, within the world that you're working in? How do you want to be involved in that change? I think what we're seeing. I I feel like I've been reading a lot about this last the summer of the period. Um, you know, you have. Um, I think there's just been a lot of there's been a lot more discussion around women's feminine care, health, um, and how that converts into the tech space. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to be part of that that discussion. And I think a lot of women are kind of like, yeah, why am I so embarrassed to talk about this? It's not that big of a deal. Um, it's just my period. Why have I been so embarrassed for so many years to tackle this subject um i have a lot of questions my friend has a lot of questions the only time we ever really talk about our periods is if i have mine and i i need a tampon and i ask her for it i would imagine that would be like a great thing about the internet right because if when you're growing up and like say you don't have like the best education from like you know your your mom or you know even your school like just not knowing what to do or like what your options are right you know with the internet with the internet with the internet (laughs) it was amazing too with all of these focus groups we had everybody go around the table and say the time they got their first period or the time they used a tampon for the first time and everybody was had the same basic story you know i i learned from my friend my mom gave me the products Mm -hmm. um there was so much like analog interaction (laughs) And now it's it's very different, and the internet is a is a big place. And um, you know, I think I think by being one of the first feminine care companies to be really transparent about the ingredients and what's actually going into our products, I think we're creating a a really great relationship of trust um, with customers, potential customers, women who just have questions. We just want to kind of be the reliable, modern feminine care brand. What are the things that still inspire you and drive you to keep going forward? 
That's such a heavy question. I just love what I do. You know, every, I mean, I'm, look, sometimes I'm definitely doing things I don't want to do, but everybody has everybody to. Has to. Yeah. Um, I, I think it comes back to the fact that I am my own customer and we saw this amazing opportunity to create a brand that actually spoke to us like adults mm-hmm. and that keeps us going. So say you're just like, okay, I have this idea. What are the, th- like, who do you, how do you find out, like, who you get in touch with? Like, you're like, oh, yeah, I want to do this thing. Like, oh, who do I, uh, who should I talk to? Like, <laughs> I mean, is that? That's such a good question. I think it's just like, you just got to start cold. I mean, a lot of it is cold emailing, um, networking your way into people's offices um there's a lot i mean new york is also becoming such an exciting place for startups there's a ton of meetups um you know different kind of forums where people can get together and share ideas and network i mean i think what we had as an advantage too was that i think we're becoming this culture where of like a, a conscious consumer and like there's this trend towards knowing where you know sweetgreen or everland you know knowing where everything is coming from and and being an informed consumer Mm -hmm. and so even though a lot of the people we pitched were men they understood that concept and when we presented it in that way where we were saying that there was an enormous opportunity to get out in front of the fda and say hey you know we don't actually we're not required to tell you exactly what's in our product but we're going to right um they understood that story that's great and uh, did you have like a, a positive response when you were taking all those fundraising meetings? It was a mix. Yeah. You know, the, a lot of men had never like seen a tampon. <laughs> so it was kind of like opening it up and yeah. putting it in the, their water glass <laughs> at the diner and <laughs> seeing how they reacted. That's amazing. What was cool was that we came with this like domain expertise where we were educating them on this product that they had never really seen or interacted with before. Yeah. Most of them at least. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I guess. So last question, what's, what's next? Like, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? Yeah. I mean, the, the vision for the company is to become the holistic feminine care brand. So not just tampons, but pads and liners and other types of reproductive, products that she needs throughout her life you know a woman gets her period when she's 13 but then there's you know a time when she's thinking about getting pregnant she's pregnant she's after pregnancy she goes through menopause there's just like a lot of different life events that we'd like to eventually um tackle great for now it's tampons but there's a good opportunity that's great jordana kier thank you so much thanks jay all right